You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Tuesday the 5th of September. Beautiful day here in TW11. Appropriately enough, I'm off to Goodwood this afternoon where the weather's arrived about a month late and it's nearly that long since we've seen Jim Crowley who returns to the saddle after his 20-day suspension today. Talking of King George heroes, the previous year's King George winner, Pile Driver, it's been announced this morning just as we're recording this, has been retired after the recurrence of a suspensory ligament injury to his off four. Trainer William Muir told the Racing Post, the Trade Daily. He said he worked very well on Friday, cantered Monday, came back Friday. He was a bit sore in the same place. He says he thinks there's something that's niggling away and the horse has been so good to us, he doesn't want to put him through something that could go wrong. A great shame, pile driver, winner of last year's King George, the previous year's Coronation Cup, five group races and over £2 million in prize money. What a servant he's been to the La Pile partnership, William Muran, Chris Grassick and his various riders down the years, Martin Dwyer, Frankie Dottori, PJ McDonald. Building towards Irish Champions Weekend later in the show as well with Jane Mangan, where we'll be speaking to Joseph O'Brien, Tom Clover, and with a Haydock Park Sprint Cup in mind on Saturday, Marco Ghiani, who rides the supplemented Millstream. All that to come, but first... Quite a significant day today, as you heard Lee and I saying yesterday, for the gambling industry, because this morning, first representatives of the Gambling Commission and then representatives of the betting industry will face questions from the Department of Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee. Lee Moss said senior writer from the Racing Post said he was going down there today, and he'll be telling us a little bit more about that later in the week. And much of this will centre around affordability checks that we've been speaking about quite a bit on this podcast and have had so much play in the wider media since this process began. Now, today I'm joined by Tom Farrell, who's the CMO of Clearstake, which is a company that operate affordability checks on behalf of betting operators. Tom, I realise some may find this a bit basic, but is it worth just starting off with, with the fundamental terms of reference? What should we understand by the term affordability check? I mean, ultimately, I think every operator in the current regulatory climate uh, has to be able to answer two questions, actually, to the regulator in terms of their own customers. Uh, one of them is, can this customer afford to stake in the way they do? And the other one is, does that money come from a legitimate source? And we might talk about that later uh, because it also applies in this area. And I think people sometimes forget that. So an affordability check in most cases is after a customer has lost more than a certain amount of money within a certain amount of time, the operator looks for financial data in order to answer that first question. Can this person afford to lose this amount of money? And if they can't, steps have to be taken to stop that happening in future. It's as simple as that, really. Uh, and that's those checks happen today. Uh, they tend to happen in a slightly slow and cumbersome fashion, uh, which is a different argument. But ultimately, yes, it involves looking at bank statements or usually involves looking at bank statements, doing the maths, looking at any other sources of wealth that might be relevant, and then coming to a decision and saying, yes, it's fine for this person to stake at this level, or no, it isn't, and we're going to have to do something about that. So the key... The key bone of contention, particularly now, and since the Gambling Commission announced what they were intending to do off the back of the the recommendations in the white paper, is that the white paper recommended frictionless affordability checks, insofar as that's possible, 
and it seems that the Gambling Commission is not following through with that. Try to tell me exactly what you understand by by frictionless. Uh, I think everybody understands frictionless in a slightly different way, and it's probably one of the problems here. Uh, I think what most people, when they hear that word, believe is that they are unaware that it's happening. It's an entirely passive check. Uh, I personally don't think an affordability check can ever be entirely frictionless. And I, by the way, I don't think anyone, anybody would want it to be entirely frictionless. Uh, I, I, yeah, let's just let's just strip that back a bit. So, I, you'd want to know that somebody was carrying out an affordability check on you, even you even yes. it, even if it was no hassle to you at all. And it's a question: to, to what extent do you think people are deterred by the hassle of it relative to the perceived personal um, intrusion of it? Yeah, it, that's a good question. It's very difficult to give you a straight answer to that, Nick. I'd love to. You know, I'd love to tell you it's all the hassle, right? Because that's the you know that's the pitch that our company goes to market with. The truth is, it's some from column A, it's some from column B, right? Uh, it's it's. It's absolutely the case that I think a lot of these objections would disappear if it was a truly frictionless check, which tells you people don't really care if operators know about their finances. Uh, but it's it's uh, it it's definitely the case that some people have an issue with it and don't want to share that data. But at the same time, if you look at other industries, you look at other verticals, you try renting a flat in London without giving your bank statements in one form or another to the letting agent. It's not going to happen. And very few people, now I'll accept property might be more important to most people than having a bet, but very few people turn around and say, do you know what? I'm not going to have that flat because I don't want you to see my finances. And if you talk to people, you know, behind the scenes, if you like, if you talk to operators and they're being candid, they will say to you that if this came in and this was a requirement and it was done in this way, 90, 95% of people would do it. And I think that's probably true. I think most people would either agree, just passively say, yes, it's okay to check, or they would actively share the data. And in, when they, when they share the data themselves, obviously they've got full control. So, 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 are, you, so are you saying a lot of the, the narrative around uh, data sharing is is scaremongering or, or disingenuous, that, that people actually aren't all that bothered? It's just that they don't want to go through the rigmarole of having to send a load of stuff in and then send passports in and so on and so forth. I, I wouldn't deny that lots of the people who are writing letters to the Racing Post, for example, sincerely believe that, you know, there's a civil liberties issue and this is something I definitely don't want to do. However, I think it's one of those things people say they definitely won't do until they have to do it and then they do. Uh, I, 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 and, and, you know, we see this continually. I mean, I don't want to talk about technology necessarily, but when you look at open banking, it's something that's adopted and customers, people agree to do it when there's a requirement to do it. And I think there is, we are in danger of scaring people. The process is incredibly easy. You're in control of your own data. You can pull it anytime you want. You can share as much or as little as you like. So it's not like sending somebody a bank statement, okay? And like I say, you're entirely in control of it and it happens in seconds, right? And I think we're in danger of turning this into something it isn't or or educating actually the racing public that these checks are coming they're incredibly onerous they're a huge uh, they're a huge uh, infraction on your civil liberties and therefore we mustn't comply and that's a dangerous message to be sending out to the public and it's you know there's an awful lot of disinformation going around about these checks at the moment and a lot of it is not particularly helpful in my opinion and i think as an industry we need to think very clearly about 
how we handle these checks, but also about the fact that maybe we need to get our arms around this problem. I don't think we can deny, and we shouldn't deny, that you know, financial harm from gambling is a thing that occurs, and a very small number, it's not my job to exaggerate this number, a small number of people get into financial difficulty. But these checks are designed to prevent that happening. And I do, to some extent, Nick, sort of throw my hands in the air when I, I mean, just yesterday, in the uh, Racing Post, Neil Channing, who I know is often on your show, you know, I mean, he's a smart guy, clearly. I enjoy his contributions, but he's he's claiming or pretending to claim that he doesn't understand why gambling would be required, financial checks would be required in gambling when they're not required when he wants to buy a bottle of wine. And I don't believe he doesn't understand that the specific issue with gambling is the financial harm it causes. And... This isn't a tactical battle to be, sorry, I might be going on a bit here, Nick, but this isn't a tactical battle to be won. I think it's really important the industry understands this. This isn't, this isn't if we win the consultation and affordability checks don't happen, then uh, gambling harm will no longer occur and tabloid newspapers will be required not to report on, let's be honest, Nick, suicides that are caused because of the financial harms that gambling can, you know, can create and we we have to understand that it's our job to get our our arms around and build a sustainable industry if we don't we're a sitting duck right the the international travel is all in one direction in fact lots and lots of places are there already right if you if you're on continental europe in many jurisdictions there's a limit on how much any one person can bet in a month and that's it it's completely flat and there's no getting around it and i think we have to understand we exist in that wider world and we have to think about affordability checks as something that we need to do right we need to do in a way that doesn't damage the industry that supports the long-term sustainable future of both Mm. horse racing and the gambling industry and i think we're in danger of talking ourselves out of that position at the moment rather than engaging with the process now tom some of the most vocal complaints in this area in recent weeks and months have come from people who want to take out significant funds from betting accounts but are then being asked to submit more and more know your customer documentation and this has been bundled together with the debate surrounding affordability and seems only to have furthered customers suspicion of the motives of bookmakers i'm sure you can understand that However, you've gone on record as saying you feel that there needs to be a greater delineation between checks that take place as you go in to having a bet versus checks that take place when you are trying to withdraw funds, when many of us might just see this all as part of the same process and part of the same contempt on the part of industry representatives for punters. Just tell me why you think it's important to draw that distinction. It's vitally important, Nick. Like, uh, so again, w- w- this is a, a great example of where we're losing clarity in the conversation, and we're getting a lot of heat and not too much light. And and you know, and I'll be brutally honest: a lot of it is coming from the racing press. So there are, I would say, two things. There are multiple reasons why someone will conduct a check. Okay, uh, affordability is one of them. Uh, by the way, it's happening today. It's not something that's coming in. Affordability happens today, and it has done for years now. The other one that is very carefully and studiously not mentioned in these conversations is anti-money laundering conversations. So, uh, sorry, anti-money laundering regulation. And 
it applies in almost exactly the same way. If if you just the same way as if you walk into a bank with ten grand in cash in your pocket, if you try to put a significant amount of money on a horse, you will be asked where you got that money from, and you will be expected to show that it came from a legitimate source, and that involves looking at financial data. So, I would say good luck to the racing and the gambling industry the gambling industry actually i think accepts that this has happened good luck trying to overturn international anti-money laundering and uh you know funding of terrorism legislation because that's never ever going to happen so it's really important we understand that many of the mm-hmm. checks that particularly on the way out yeah money laundering check it's never an affordability check on the way out uh many of those checks are being done for other reasons and we shouldn't conflate them and the same applies to getting on Okay, so you know, I know, every, anyone who's been in the industry knows there are lots of reasons why you might not be able to get on. There's lots of reasons why an operator doesn't take your money. It's not always because of affordability. But again, we're creating this narrative that affordability is the, the what's the word? It's the, it's the, I don't but know. The, but the, but it's, it, it's more than, but is it not the case, Tom? It's more than just received wisdom, isn't it? That in terms of getting a bet on, being able to get a bet on, to any significant degree, has become harder and harder because the confused and confusing regulatory landscape has enabled the industry to to obfuscate and to and to hide behind that. Yes, I think that's happening in some cases. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's not for me to say in a way, Nick, because I couldn't possibly know. I do think if you read the letters in the Racing Post, if you look at the comments on YouTube under videos, when you read those comments and you read those letters, it's very, very clear that people are either struggling to get on or having to go through KYC checks or going through money laundering checks and they're misunderstanding and they're believing their affordability checks. I guess because it's in, I mean, it's a conversation we're having right now. So it's obvious that people make jump to that conclusion. But I think it would be helpful for people to understand that's not always the case. And, you know, you again, it sounds like I'm picking on individuals. I'm absolutely not. But Lee Martis Head was on your show a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about so many letters from people worried about these checks coming in. But the checks are here. They've been here for years. So those people are worried about to impact them and we should probably be reassuring them of that fact and we should be I, I mean I, I, I mentioned or at least obliquely mentioned the anti-gambling lobby I think we need to be careful about how we show our in, display our industry and how we talk about our industry because they can hear everything we say so when we talk about the idea that customers who lose 2,000 or more pounds lose, not stake, lose 2,000 or more pounds in 90 days. When we say, well, oh God, if these people will be subjected to affordability checks, our industry is going to be decimated. That doesn't sound like the the image we like to portray. Uh, And by the way, the image I think almost all operators would like to be, which is someone who's enabling people to have a flutter on a Saturday, on a Saturday on the football or the racing. And it's just a fun, friendly activity. Uh, that's just like any other social activity. It doesn't sound like that when we talk about the huge impact of restricting people losing more than 2000 in three months. And it's fodder. I think it's fodder for people who let's be honest, would be quite happy if there was no gambling and no racing at all. Tom, thanks so much for your time today. No problem at all. Nick. Thank you.
All right, time to wrap up the rest of today's news with Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV broadcaster. You will remember that Irish trainer Dennis Hogan earlier this year was given a three-month ban and a €5,000 fine following a prohibited substance rule breach. It was Hogan's fourth time to fall foul of the medication rules and that underpinned the referrals committee's verdict. Hogan, it has a replacement trainer in the interim. Jane, just tell me more about him and more about how you feel about this case. Yeah, so today's September 5th and the suspension kicked in at the beginning of this month. It was high profile when it was deferred um, past Galway. And Dennis went up to the OHRB and asked for a deferral on a number of grounds. He was successful in that deferral, but now he has to serve his penance. And now any horse you see running under the Adrian Joyce banner will effectively be Dennis Hogan's. Dennis, um, or Adrian, in fact, sent out his first winner in that capacity last night at Roscommon when Baron Hill Rose won the 437 handicap. Uh, Adrian was a, a, a very good rider himself. He trained himself in Ireland for a number of years. He went out, sent out 23 winners across six seasons, um, but latterly was best known as being assistant trainer to Gerald O'Leary. Um, but he's now taken over the reins uh, for Dennis Hogan. Dennis, incidentally, since the the beginning of the suspension, has signed for three horses in training at the Tatterstall Summer Sale as Dennis Hogan Racing. And I just wonder what kind of signal that sends out. What is a suspension? Is it a hiatus? Is it a holiday? It's just I I, I don't know what is the if if mm. uh, somebody is able to be active anyway. Now, I don't, maybe that's fine. Maybe people think that's a penance enough and reputational damage, no doubt, uh, when your name is in headlines like this is far from ideal. But I wonder what the wider public would think if that's what a suspension in our sport is. Okay, on to this weekend then and the Irish Champions Festival, as it shall now be dubbed in the Royal Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes. One intriguing entry is the lightly raced Al Riffa Group 1 winning two-year-old and a good second to Ace Impact last time in France. His trainer is Joseph O'Brien. I've been speaking to him. I began by asking him whether it was the intention to run Al Riffa against some very high-profile names. Yes, uh, it is, Nick. Um, he had a very good run in France the last day. Um, uh, this race was was a fan since then. His preparation has gone well and um, looks like it's hotting up. The last 10 days, the race particularly has has took a, a good step forward and uh, we're looking forward to, to, to being involved. To what extent do you think this back-end campaign, that element of freshness, is going to be a, a big plus for him as we as we move through the next few weeks? Yeah, certainly, uh, Nick. It, it, it's a it's an advantage. Um, he's a lightly raced uh, colt. Um, uh, he's coming off the back of a of a, a very very good run, and we think that he can step forward from that run again. You've seen enough good horses to know this is a, a very good field. He's going to have to take a big step forward on the figures. But in your heart of hearts, do you look at him and think, yeah, he belongs at, at an elite level? Yeah, he's a Group One horse, Nick. Um, he's obviously a Group One winner, um, but we 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 think that he is a Group One horse, a genuine Group One horse, and uh, and uh, we're looking forward to hopefully improving that uh, between now and the end of the season. And his his best form, and you know, he's had limited opportunities to show, but his best form has come with a little ease in the ground. It'll be quicker on Saturday. Is that going to be an issue? 
Yeah, we're not, we're not too worried about that. Um, he's ended up on ground with a bit of juice in it uh, um, through no fault of his own. Uh, so we think that he'll have no problem handling the quicker surface. Um, and uh, we feel that he's pretty versatile going wise. Who do you think is is the most potent threat in the race to you? Um, well, well, I suppose Augusto Rodan is the obvious one. Um, uh, if, if he, you know, comes back to his uh, some of his better runs, um, he's a, a high class cold. Obviously, Nashua is very, very solid filly, uh, top top notcher. Um, and uh, and uh, there's three or four others. The French horse Ernesto is a top class horse. Um, so there's and obviously the you know, King of Steel is a top class horse. So it's a it's a deep group one, and it's going to take uh, a top top performance to win the race. And hopefully, we're involved. And what have you got your eye on beyond this? Because I know you're not only just thinking one step at a time, you'll be thinking deep into the into the autumn and the early winter. What what do you see as his, his sort of path to the end of the year? Um, I suppose uh, we're looking at potentially the arc or the or the British Champion Stakes um, after uh, after Leopardstown. Um, and you know, obviously he, he has the option of some international races further afield than that so so we are taking it one step at a time but 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 we do have our eye on you know plenty of of prize money into the second half or the back end of the season i'm just looking at the big group ones at, at the weekend you, you've got a stack of entries in in most of them have you have you finalized your your plans for those very big races the, the most important races um, um, yes, well, um, I suppose we'll have we'll have a couple of fillies in the matron. Um, uh, Jumbly is an option. Uh, Gold Anna will, will will most likely take her chance. Um, uh, we have a, a nice a nice two year old Atlantic Coast going to run in the two year old race at Leopardstown. Um, um, then we have Island in the Stream in the National Stakes. He was second to Henry Longfellow the last day. Uh, we have a couple of entries in the Moy Glare. It looks like it's going to be a very hot race, so they potentially will go. Um, Calispear is going to run in France this week instead of going there um, uh, we potentially are not going to be represented in the ledger and um, uh, then we have a, a, you know some nice runners in the, uh, in the races and the undercards in both places all right, then that's Joseph O'Brien gearing up for Irish Champions Weekend. No runners, in, uh, interestingly, there in the in the Irish and Ledger. He's saying, even though there's plenty of entries there, um, but definitely runs Al Riffer in the Irish Champions Stakes. More than making up the numbers, Jane Al Riffer, I'd say yes. Yeah, I think so too. Um, we he's just not had a good three-year-old year. He had an injury. He's been off for quite a while. He came back, and I thought it was a satisfactory effort in France. Um, he's He's come back run left plenty to be desired, but I think he took a, a step forward when his last run in France uh, was an encouraging one with a springboard to this. But this is going to be one of the races of the season. Um, if they all turn up, as we think they will. If you can list off the ones, we know Frankie's been booked for Onesto. Uh, we know Aiden's likely to run August Rodin and possibly Luxembourg as well. Uh, we know King of Steel is the market leader and has been for quite some time. And the confidence coming from the Varian camp is 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 obvious and uh throw in the possibility of a couple of others like Nashua like that is that is a proper proper race so I wonder with Fantastic Moon being a late withdrawal from Baden-Baden the other day is there any chance is there any chance that we could get a German Raider across yeah that was clearly a source of some consternation as John Hammond was saying to us on the pod yesterday uh felt that the the ground was overwatered at at Baden-Baden the connections of Fantastic Moon we're certainly not going to be it's certainly not going to be soft at Leopardstown this weekend 
Fantastic, Moon. The Steinberg team, if you're listening, you're definitely going to get quick ground because so- somehow or for some reason, the summer has decided to come to Ireland in September. You enjoying it? Are you enjoying it? A bit hot for you, isn't it? Yes, but I won't complain. God, I do love a bit of good weather as well. I've been told it badly affects my mood. So hopefully it'll hang around for the weekend because I think there will be, number one, droves of fans go to Leopardstown just to see Frankie. Aside from King of Steel and, and Nashua and all the great horses that are coming, I think there is a belief here that this is the last time the Irish fans are possibly the last time the Irish fans will get to see him um, in Ireland and definitely in Group 1 action here. And then the Curra, everybody's going to want to go see City of Troy, Ylang, Ylang and, and those good sprinters and ledger horses. So this weekend is the biggest weekend in Ireland in the flat season. And just going back to Joseph O'Brien's point about not having any runners in the Irish ledger this weekend, Valiant King, St Vincent's Garden and Akita Sushi are all among the 132 nominations for the Lexus Melbourne Cup, which have just come through overnight and you know what some of the other ones are as well a uh, desert hero you've been hearing about um tower of london aiden o'brien's been talking about is in there as well last year's winner gold trip so an awful lot of the horses that you know, we've been speaking about over the over the last few weeks but it, it looks as though joseph's going to be represented anyway across the uh, across the side of the world I, I presume the winner of the race is in it as well did you did you see him oh yeah are you talking about voban or absurd oh voban yeah. yeah they're both in anyway all right, and the big race uh, for Phillies at the weekend is the Matron Stakes Group 1. Looking forward to seeing Royal Ascot win a Rogue Millennium. Uh, Tom Clover, trainer, is with me now. Tom, all systems go for the Matron? Yeah, she seems in good form, Nick, and um, they come out of Dover well, so fingers crossed um, she can win a belt there. Is there anything about the setup of the Matron that you think will enable her to produce what she needs, which is her very, very best? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're in the deep end, aren't we? But she's won her group two, so uh, we're going to have a crack at some group one um, races and hopefully get some group one black type with a bit of luck. So we just, we just felt as sort of in France that it's quite a sharp, it's much sharper mile than, than Ascot. And I think the time was about six seconds quicker than um, Ascot. So, uh, you know, it's a stiffer mile at Leopardstown and um, we're hoping that should suit her. And I suppose, you know, to, to run everything has to be absolutely spot on as it in group ones um, for you to have a chance and I don't know for whatever reason she perhaps wasn't quite at the very best in France so uh, she's been working well and we're really pleased with her so we, we hope that the, the stiff mile at Leopardstown should really suit and yeah, we're happy with her going into it yeah and isn't the truth that she just needs something to run at she just needs a race a bit of pace and the race to start just peeling away around her a little bit yeah, absolutely. I with all these things, you need a bit of luck, don't you? Um, no, if you're a strong guy, but it'll certainly suit her. And um, yeah, hopefully then it just it falls right for her. We get a nice draw, it falls right for her, and she can um, go close to a bit of luck. Tom Clover, who's Rogue Millennium, has been a real star for his team since she was picked up for a relative song for a filly of that pedigree and that quality, and a fine advertisement for her. Uh, ownership group rogues gallery racing marshaled so enthusiastically by tony elliott jane she's gonna have to to up her game again the matron could be quite strong depending on what's confirmed a bit later is it to hear us race again do you think is it to hear us to lose ahead of a big autumn campaign Possibly. Tahira has this brilliance, but she hasn't really shown it this year. She has won a coronation. She has been 
a very good filly, but when I saw her win the, win the Moigler last year, I thought she was something quite extraordinary. That's not an extraordinary I've seen this year. Maybe she's saving it for the matron. Uh, Derma Wells spoke favourably about Homeless Songs when I was at Curra recently, but she's not going to get her ground this weekend. And is there any point in running her anywhere other than the matron being a Group 1 winner already? So it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do with her. Um the, I think Rogue Millennium is a legitimate contender here. She's a proper filly. She likes these conditions. She, they have to have a go. And you you never know what the lineup might end up, end up being. We know Inspiral isn't coming here. We know she's going elsewhere. Will Sounds of Heaven come here? The third from the, the coronation. We know that Meditate is likely to run here with blinkers on, as Aidan O'Brien told us last week. Uh, Remarque and possibly Prosperous Voyage. I don't know what Rafe Beck is planning on doing, but the confirmations are today. So the, the matron could yet cut up considerably, but at the moment it looks like Tahira will be the one to beat. And is our match still on? Ylang Ylang against City of Troy. Who wins a Group 1 first? Well, you go first, so you better just hope you win the Group 1 because I'm going to win mine. You're going to win yours by the sounds of it. Um, at the moment, it seems like that's the plan that both of them run. But there will be a couple of... Let's just not forget Buccaneer Fuerte is in against you. And he's a br- he's a proper horse. He's up to seven furlongs. Don't see that being an issue for him. And there's been a lot of positive talk about him. First two-year-old winner in Ireland this year. Could he win the national stakes? It's yeah. very, very possible. I know, I know. You'll give me, you'll give me a nice lead. You'll, you'll give me a nice lead, won't he? Yeah, well, look, you just be careful you don't run through those boards. Actually, actually is, he, is he fast enough to lead me? Is he? Game is, talk, game talk. Is he quick enough to lead I'll, me? I'll leave Kevin Stott and Buccaneer Fair to do the talking. They can they can try and give you... I'm not saying they're going to beat you, but they're going to give you a good race. What's going to give you Lang Ylang a good race in the Moigler? Um, well, Joseph O'Brien, as you heard in the interview there, said he thought the Moigler was an extremely hot race. So, no, you know. it is. It's the group one. It should be. <laughs> what is going to take her on? Well, surely Donica's filly's got a shot, hasn't she? Porta Fortuna. Porta Fortuna, yeah. Proper filly. Albany well, winner. I think, I think Fallen Angel's a good filly if she runs. Oh, Carl Burke's filly, yeah. She's a yeah. good filly. I think Race the Wind's good if Charlie Appleby runs her. So, I don't know. Okay. I've got. I've got some 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 hope anyway. Okay, I just I lo- I locate the nearest McDonald's from the Curra and uh oh you're not coming this weekend. Damn, we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to figure out how, we, how I'll send you uh I'll send you a voucher for um Deliveroo. Sadly not. No, it's my brother's 50th birthday party this weekend. So that's why I can't go to Ireland for Irish Champions weekend. Um and he's his week's got off to a bad start because he's been um he's been bitten by a dog and chipped his a bone in his hand and i just sent him a message saying how is your hand and he said better than my kitchen with a picture of two fire brigades down his drive so no. i know i know i'd say i'd say be letting off some steam at the weekend no pun intended all right big day saturday for the the sprints cup at haydock park one of the supplementary entries is millstream trained by jane chapel home for peter harris horse who has really improved this season great run at newmarket followed by two wins enlisted in group races at doville uh, marco Giani is the horse's regular rider and joins me now marco how excited are you about this horse i'm really excited you know i think he deserves a place uh you know at least a chance to show what he can do um on a you know, on a grade like that, uh, really looking forward. I mean, you've had enough experience now. You've ridden enough good horses. Just tell me the sort of the sort of feel he gives you the the feeling of how high he could he could climb. 
I mean, he has improved a lot this year, you know, since since this we this winter and you know all the way through the summer and you know obviously he's a you know he's a big horse. It's probably the first few times he he needed you know the run because you know he's like I said he he was a bit you know stuffy. Um, but you know he gave me a great feel and it's very hard to win a group three like he did last time. Really? Never had a group one sprinter like you know a proper group one sprinter so I don't feel what one would feel like but I can guarantee you is you know is in the right direction and hopefully we'll improve more and people will have seen that the ground is recorded as very soft at, at Deauville I, I don't often believe the, the going descriptions there I mean are you worried about him going back on fast ground or not no not really you know York and Newmarket the ground was quite fast um then when we went to France, it was soft at the time, and the day I won the group, it was good to soft. So I think he's a, you know, he's a very, you know, he can handle any sort of ground. Personally, to have a, a horse like him to sort of take you back to the top table, how how important is he? Do you think? He's always, you know, he's always great to have, you know, a nice horse, you know, to bring you up there. Um, the only thing is try to keep there every year so you know if we can get a nice horse every year you know it'd be you know it'd be amazing and i'm very very grateful for how the year went and for the support i got from mr aris and and jane and every other trainer marco best of luck saturday thanks so much thank you very much all right, it's Tuesday, where we normally go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. Something a little bit different for you today. Uh, Weatherby's proud to partner with the National Horse Racing Museum for a racing memorabilia auction on the 16th of October. Uh, and that's in conjunction with the noted racing historian and sporting art and memorabilia expert, Graham Budd, who is with me now. Graham, just tell me a little bit more. Um, absolutely. So it's going to be an auction, Nick, of um, really racing art um, and also memorabilia as well. So on the art side, you know, we'll have an, a, a selection of, of, of very good quality paintings by uh, very famous names in the sporting art world, like Harry Hall and Lionel Edwards and Peter Beagle and Cecil Orden, etc. Also some modern artists like Alan Brassington and, and Roy Miller. Um, and then on the other side, it's um, there'll be a, a really interesting selection of uh, of memorabilia as, as well, which will um, include uh, a collection of uh, Lester Bigot memorabilia that's that's been consigned from a private collection uh, in Ireland. Uh, so all sorts of uh, a wide variety of, of items and, and hopefully price points as well. You know, we'd like to think that somebody could come along and buy, you know, something for 50 to 100 pounds, but... At the other end, if you're want to, wanting to acquire really good quality artwork, you might be looking at ten to twenty thousand. But that's the sort of uh, that's the kind of flavour of it, really. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting this because I, I find when when I do a charity auction, memorabilia always flies. It always goes really well. Try and sell somebody a holiday; it's almost impossible. Try and sell them a race card from 1976 that's pristine and has got Lester Piggott's autograph on. It's it, it's dead easy. Uh, when when you when you unearth more. 70s 80s 90s racing memorabilia do you, how big a market do you generally find for it yeah no it, it 
it, it is good. Um, I suppose if we're if we're being realistic, uh, it, it you know it's not as big as some of the other areas like football, for instance, which is you know, the biggest sport in the world. But it's got a very niche um, uh, market and very very strong following, um, and you know potentially some 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 moneyed buyers as well. So all of those uh, factors together, um, you know, you, you you can get some very very good results. I mean, just in recent times, for instance, we. Um, we were delighted we sold the Mill Reef colours um, that were really carried in all the big races that he won back in the day um, and there was a, a heated bidding battle there and that made £14,000 um, and also in recent times we sold Frankel's number cloth from the Queen Anne Stakes win at Ascot when Timeform of course gave him that rating of 147 and, and that made 9,500 so um, you know classic modern racehorses um, and they're, they're making extremely good money um, but there are some people that are much more interested in history further back and you know we, we sold memorabilia going right back to Edwardian and, and, and Victorian times um, a lot of interest in the jockey Fred Archer um, that's been the case for a number of years and uh, he was really a very interesting character because he was probably the first sportsman where uh, that created like a memorabilia industry like in the potteries in Stoke they were always producing jugs and plates and bowls with his image on and things like that um, and of course especially after his, um, his his tragic death as well when they produced a whole range of commemorative wear uh, so yeah the Goes goes right the way back, and one of the oldest things we we sold actually was um, a provenance piece of Eclipse's hide, uh, which was quite amazing that had been preserved at the time from a tanning house, and, um, and that sold I think for ten thousand pounds. Yes. Wow. And, and as far as the artwork's concerned, I mean, you reeled off some, if not household, at least very very familiar names. There, uh, you'd be hoping to fetch fetch quite a bit with with some of those, wouldn't you? Yeah, they. Uh, People, certainly people like Lionel Edwards and Peter Beagle, um, Cecil Audin, they're, they're, they're very well established names and they've got a, you know, they've, they've, they've got a sort of a mark in, in the uh, in the marketplace. I, I, I think you, you're going to struggle to get something via one of those, like an oil on canvas for under two or three thousand pounds and, you know, possibly, possibly a little bit more. But, you know, we, we're talking about the people that are uh, really at the top of their game to um, horse and racing painting so that 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 will offer um, a, a really high-end aspect of the sale which uh, and also we will be viewing at the museum the sale will be in the afternoon Nick and um, if people can make it over to Newmarket they can view all the items during the morning prior to, to bidding as well. Graham Bud there and the auction takes place on the 16th of October I have no doubt many of you will have uh, some really quite valuable racing memorabilia and if you do want to auction it you still can join and add a few more lots to the list there's there's a whole load and it's a, a really good place to showcase it at the at the NHRM um, if you want to offer a consignment get in touch with us get in touch with Weatherby's get in touch with Graham get in touch with the museum and we will definitely point you in the right direction. Right, Jane Mangan is still with me. Jane, what do you got for me for today? Well, Nick, you're rushing off to Goodwood, and I hope you'll be there in time to see the 320, the Royal Sussex Regiment Handicap over two miles. And I just cannot get away from the fact that Grand Providence only has eight stone two on her back. She's the only three-year-old in the race. She should be made for two miles, being by Nathaniel. And I think Grand Providence will take a lot of beating for Andrew Bolling and Hayley Turner in the 320. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye for now.
You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.